Good morning, everyone. I, um, I'm looking forward to being with you today again and, and speaking uh, about something that's close to my heart. I've been wanting to share this with, with you for a long time, um, this specific message, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to do so. So why don't you open in your Bibles? We're going to be going through a lot of scriptures, um, not all on the screen. And so if you have your Bibles here, um, you can turn, turn with me as well. At some point in every believer's life, we tend to ask ourselves, what is God's will? And more specifically, many times we ask ourselves, what is God's will for my life? Have you asked yourself that question, perhaps recently at some point in your life? What is God's will for my life? Well, somehow, you know, we think, we look at the greats of the Bible when you think, well, you know, the Pauls and the Peters and the, and the apostles and disciples, well, God had a plan for their life. But for us, well, we just, you know, just carry on as normal. Um, but really, as we'll see today, is that God has a plan for your life. Uh, universally, God has a, a will, but he also has a will and a plan to guide you in your life as well. And we'll see today. Uh, just a brief story about myself, and I'll try to be brief. But um, my little story is, as I was growing up, I was a, a, a sports fan. I loved soccer. And I played soccer through all the ranks, and I went to, up to national level, and, and I thought, this is it. My dream is to become a professional soccer player. And I had it all worked out, and this is what I was going to do. Well, that didn't quite work out so well, and so I got into tennis in, in high school. And tennis was, was great, and I had a passion for tennis as well. And you had to play satellite tournaments to get points, to get anywhere, ranking. And so I played them. Some I did okay, some I didn't do so great, and I I realized that I wasn't going to quite cut the, the bar of getting where I wanted to get. But I had it all worked out. When I became a Christian, I said, God, you don't have to do anything. Don't worry, I've got it all figured out. I'll become a professional sportsman, and I'll go, and I'll spread the gospel, and I'll be, have all these people listening to me and, and watching me, and I'll be sure to mention you in every opportunity that I can. I've got it figured out, God. Don't have to worry. This is what I have in my mind. And I had a plan, and I had a way. But God had other ways, uh, other ideas. So I did the next best thing. I got into tennis coaching, and I became a tennis coach. And during that time, I got involved with the youth and took over the youth at our church. And shortly after, I was asked to come on staff and became a youth pastor. And, so, and I also studied sports administration. I studied marketing. And I thought, okay, I can put all this together with my family's help because my family were involved in businesses. I thought, don't worry, God, I've now got it. I've got it all figured out, and so what I'll do is I'll create a business that will be self-sustaining, and for no other reason, just on my heart, I wanted to go to Malawi. And I was going to start a Bible study in a village, and I was going to pick a village, start a Bible study, and grow to become a church and plant a church. And while the business at home is running and funding me, they asked, we can't afford to pay you. I said, don't worry, I'll support myself. God, this is perfect plan for my life. Can, can you not see it, God? Can you not see this perfect plan? And so um, I had it all figured out, but that didn't happen. Now I'm standing to you, standing here in Australia, in Pakenham, Australia. Not that this is a downplay at all, but this is what God had in plan for my life. And I'm reminded of um, Psalm 16. It says, the heart of a man plans his way. And boy, did I plan my way. But the Lord establishes his steps. 
You see, God had a different plan for my life. And even though I had it all figured out, or I thought I had it figured out, God had other plans. Now, before I continue, I just want to say that when you're talking about discerning God's will, it's clear that God's revealed will, he has a universal will that applies to us all. And that we'll see soon as well, is that applies to us all. But I do believe that God guides and directs us to a specific will for each and every one of your lives. Even to the young people here, God has a plan for your life. So how do we know what that is? Well, just quickly, God's universal will, and I'm not going to go into this in detail, but firstly is that you are saved. I'm certain that the number one top of the list of God's will is that you be saved, that you come to Christ. And if this morning, if you do not know Christ personally, what I mean by that is, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, Christ's work on the cross to save you and repent of your sins and turn from your ways of living for the world, if you haven't done that, then you aren't even in step one of following God's will. Forget everything else I'll say this morning. If you haven't come to know Christ this morning, that's the first thing that you need to do. So that is God's clear will for us. The other things as well, God wants us to be saved, but not only us, but he wants us to share the gospel with other people. He wants us to be spirit-filled, which is to be obedient to the scriptures. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to stand up for Christ or suffer for his name. And we can go on and identify seven things that God reveals to us in his scriptures. But I'm not going to share it with you today. What I'm going to share about with you today is more specifically about how we can discern God's will for our lives. And I say that as if they're separate. They're not separate. They're together. But specifically, what is God's will for your life? And I get the sense that God is more concerned about who we are, but we are more concerned about where we go and what we do. Have you noticed that? But God is really much concerned about who you are. How, how much do you resemble that of a character of Christ? It doesn't matter really where you are if you look at Scripture, and we'll look at that as well. So who you are is important. Turn with me in your Bibles to Job. Job chapter 1. We're going to go through a few Scriptures just to show you how important a character and your character is to God, and not so much necessarily where you are. Job chapter 1, in the first verse, we, we hear about who this guy Job is. It says, There was a man in the land of was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So he was blameless, he was upright, he feared God, and he turned away from evil. Look in verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? God was saying to Satan, Have a look at this guy Job. He's this amazing guy. And what makes him amazing is he's upright. And he's, and he's a man who lives blameless, who fears me, and he turns away from evil. evil. That's a character quality. And so Job was a man who, who was, um, was, was great in God's eyes because of that. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his, on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. 
For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So thankfully for me that God doesn't care what I look like. I'm glad for that. But God is more concerned about what's inside us. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 reminds us. Even the qualifications of elders and deacons in 1 Timothy and Titus, we know are character qualities. Not just for elders and deacons, for everyone. God is concerned about who you are. In Hebrews 11, we see Abel, Enoch, Noah, Moses, Sarah, Abraham, and some others as well. That what made them great was their faith. And we know that well, the faith chapter. When Jesus came, he was fully man, but he was yet fully God. And what did he do? Did he go around what everyone expected him to go and, and stand on, sit on the throne and say, I'm the king of the king. I'm the creator of, all, all, of everything, of the whole, whole universe, and I'm the almighty God. No, what did he do? He came and he served. He said, I came to serve, and he washed his disciples' feet. Again, focusing on the character character that we have to be, and that is God's will for our life, that we have a character of Christ. So if you want to really know what God's will is, firstly, the first thing you need to do is study the life of Christ, and you will know what God's will for your life is. Is your life emulating that of Christ? But I think it's safe, safe to say that today, the, sitting here today, all of us, there's probably some of us who this next week have got very big decisions to make. Perhaps in the next month, or maybe you have made some big decisions. So how do we discern God's will for everyday decisions? We, if you like, God's will revealed will talks about spiritual things, but how can God discern us and how, how can help God help us discern the non-spiritual things? Things like buying a house. Do we rent? Do we buy? Do we buy a car? Do we buy a second car? Do we buy a third car? Why should we do that? In which city should we live? What should we have for dinner tonight? Shall I get married? Whom shall I marry? All these non-spiritual things. Now we can't, they, they're all together in the same. I, I believe you can't really separate them, but for the sake of the, the, this morning's sermon, we're going to separate them into the spiritual side of things, becoming Christ-like, and the non-spiritual things. And this is what we're going to focus on. Is how do we find God's will in our non-spiritual things. But I do believe that God will direct you, and he does direct us. And let me just go through a very quick few verses just to prove this point to you. Um, in Exodus chapter 13, we saw that God guided his people. They said, well, Lord, we're out of Egypt now, so where do we go? What do we do? We don't know where to go. There's the wilderness. What do we do? And God said, I will lead you by a cloud, didn't he? He had a cloud, and we had people had to follow the cloud, and when the cloud stopped... Then they stopped. And by night, he even had a, a, a pillar of, of fire. And so God directed his people. We know that God uses the judges, he used the kings, he used the prophets to give specific information of what he wanted them to do. In Psalms, David reminds us in Psalm 48, verse 14, he says, He will guide us forever. Psalm of David. In Psalm 119, we read, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It shows my feet where to go, and it shows my path, which path I should take. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. A well-known verse, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Wesley, even Malawi is your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. Except in verse 6 it says, In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight or he will make straight your paths. In other words, he will make your path clear if you lean on God, if you trust in God. But if you lean on your own understanding, you might end up in the wrong place. Isaiah understood this as well. He said in Isaiah 58 verse 11, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you sh shall be like the watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You see, David believed God guided us. Solomon believed God guided us. And Isaiah believed God guides us. Does it stop there? No. Turn with me to your, in your Bibles to John John chapter 4. Christ knew this as well. He knew this very well. John chapter 4, in verse 34, he says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. They were speaking about food and eating, and he said, Well, leave that food one side. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. What sustains me, just like food sustains me, what sustains me is doing the will of him. Jesus understood that. In John chapter 5, Jesus again says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 6, he says it again in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, Jesus understood that he is not there to do his own thing. He has to follow what God wants him to do. Even the Lord's Prayer says, what? Thy will be done. And even Matthew 26, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Last view, Ephesians chapter 1 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And Ephesians 5 verse 17. Interesting one. It says, Therefore do not be foolish. Would you like to be foolish today? Or wise? It says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So today, God is saying, you and I need to understand what the will of God is. So it's not something that's mystical. It's something that can be understood because it's a commandment in Ephesians 5.17. Don't be foolish, it says, but understand what the Lord's will is. So how do we know this? How do we go about navigating what God's will is for our life? What does the next week hold for you and I? What is the next month, next year? For the young kids here today, what are you going to do with your life? What is God's will for your life? I believe Scripture tells us quite clearly, and, and Paul gives us a hint of it in Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, he says, he writes to the Romans, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, 
and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. To the Jews, they had the law. They had the, 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 the law of Moses. They had the, the prophets and they had the, the poetic writings. And so to them, Paul writes and says, you should know what God's will is because it's there. You know it. And today, we have the full canon of Scripture. And so if you look at your Bible on your laps today, it's the same thing that Paul said to the Jews. He said, you should know the will of the Lord because it's in this book. And you and I today have God's will right in front of us. So if someone comes to you today after knowing this and says, how do I know God's will for my life? The answer should be, read your Bible. Is that the end of the sermon? Shall we stop there? How do we know God's will? Read your Bible and do what it says. That's the easy answer to say. But let's look at some examples. I put it in four levels. Let's say there's level one. Lord, how do I know what I should do in this situation? Just read my Bible and then just pops out of my Bible? Or how do I know? Well, some things are very similar, uh, very simple. They're very black and white. They're very obvious. For example, meet Bob. Bob and Sue are friends. Bob comes to Sue and Bob says, Sue, I've been thinking of whether I should start to go to church or not. Do you think it's God's will that I should go to church? What, what does Sue say? Sue says, well, maybe we should pray about it. Maybe we should pray about it. And, and if God gives you peace and God gives me peace and we both have peace and everyone else has peace and we agree that our peace is the same and we have peace together, then it must be God's will, right? No, God's already spoken about this topic. Yes, praying, there's nothing wrong with praying for it. But God's already spoken. It's black and white. Because if you read in uh, Hebrews 10 verse 25, it says, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sue should have said to Bob, Bob, you know what? I know what God's will is for the question that you have. Let me read it to you. Turn to Hebrews 10 verse 25. I'll pray for you anyway. That's a good thing. But praying for peace? No, it's in Scripture already. We just need to know our Bibles. God's already spoken. And to ask God to speak twice is actually a bit of a mockery. God's already spoken about the topic. We just need to know our Scriptures. Here's another example, also a level one example. Here's Bob again. And Bob has a friend. And Bob says, you know what? I've been praying about marrying this girl. I love her, and she loves me, and she, but she's not a believer. But you know what? I'm so involved in the church that when we get married, she's going to be involved, and I just know she's going to be around all the friends and circles of Christianity, and, and she's going to come to know Christ. I know it's going to happen. I know that's God's will for my life. What does the friend say? Well, what do we do today? Let's pray about it. Again, I'm not condescending on prayer. Let's pray about it. And if, if God gives you peace and about this, this girl and gives me peace, and then it must be God's will, of course, right? No, because 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Black and white. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer have share with an unbeliever? 
What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So, Bob, you know what? I just read something in the Bible. I don't think you should marry that girl, even though you love her so much. It's not God's will that you should marry that girl. God's already closed that door. Asking God to open, to, to, to check whether the door should open or not is again a mockery because God has already spoken in his will, in his word. Now there's another example. Now some examples are not black and white. They live, call them level two. They are ones that need us to apply some principles. They're maybe not so black and white in scripture. Here's Bob again. He's having a hard week. Bob, I don't know if I should take this job or not. I got offered a job, a great job with more money. How do I know if it's God's will for my life if I should take this job or not? I never called them. They called me. His friend says, well, you know, Bob, you never went out and looked for it. It came looking for you. That means God must have opened that door for you. You've got to take that job, Bob. You've got to take that job. Because it's God's will, because he opens doors. Well, yes, God does open doors, but not all doors are the right ones. Have you heard the saying that says some doors are normal doors and some doors are elevator shafts? So just because a door opens doesn't mean it's God's will for your life. We're reminded of David and Bathsheba. David saw an open door, an opportunity, and he took it, and it was the wrong thing to do. Very similar, Joseph also had a door to open and that was with Potiphar's wife and he didn't open that door and he ran so just because God opens doors doesn't mean it's God's will what we do need to do is is when there is a door that's open is discern it with God's will and apply a principle for example hey Bob this job that you want to get um, it's more money but tell me a bit about the job well you know it, it means I have to travel more how much do you have to travel, Bob? Well, maybe at least two weeks every month I have to travel. Okay? And who do you travel with? Well, I travel with my colleagues. And who are your colleagues? Well, mostly women. And, uh, and many times I'm going to travel alone with some women. Well, we know from biblical principles is that a man should lead his family. And if a man is away from his family three or four weeks in the month, well, that's not a good idea, is it? A man can't do much to lead his family. I know there's special circumstances, but that's probably not a good idea, Bob. Also, Bob, you spending time with other married women alone, that's not a good idea. That leads you open to temptation. So I think, Bob, even though that's more money for you, I don't think it's God's will for your life that you take that job. Using a biblical principle. What if there's another situation? What if it's a level three situation where there's neither a right nor a wrong and you have two or three opportunities to take? Can God's word still guide us? Oh, yes, he can. Absolutely. What if something as mundane as buying a car? Yes, God's word can, can help you. I'll give you an example from my own life. Many years ago, I, I got a job promotion and I was given a car allowance and I decided to buy a new car. And so instead of getting a car I really wanted, nice and fast car, I decided to get a car that the budget that they gave me so that I could be a good steward of, of, of the God's money. So that was being a good steward. I also chose a car that was low in fuel economy. So I thought, well, that's being a good steward once again because it's been good to my employer, my master. 
and having a car that doesn't use a lot of fuel. And I went through all the things. What does our family need? Does it need a boot? What size? Uh, you know, where am I going to drive a lot of the time, etc. And I used all these biblical principles to, to choose the car. But then I came to the final choice I had to make. I finally narrowed down to one car. And this car, I could choose a color. And the lady said, what color would you like? And I said, uh, I want the white one. So great, cool. Nicole said she wants the silver one. So then I was like, well, what's the color to you? I'm going to drive the car. It's my car. I want the white one. Nicole said, I really like the silver one. But then I remembered while driving home in my silver car, I remembered Ephesians chapter 5 that says you need to love your wife. And so once again, the scriptures helped me in that situation and helped me choose the right color. So can God's will even help you with choosing the color of a car? Yes, he can, because we're applying biblical principles. So God, can God guide you on which job to take? I believe he can through his word. Can scripture help you decide whom to marry? Of course. Can God's word help you choose the right career or the right home to buy? Absolutely. Or what holiday to go on? Or how much money you should give to someone in need? Or what holiday you want to go on or shouldn't go on? Uh, or what color car to buy? Yes, God's word can help us. You see, God's revealed will, he's given us his scriptures and so many principles, and we need to study them and know them. So what happens in the fourth level? What happens if there's no clear right or wrong, and still you still have no clear answer? Which one do you go with? Well, I would just say that if you cannot choose between two, I would ask this one question. Which one of the two choices would glorify God more? Which of the two choices would glorify God more? And if you've discerned that, well, that's the one you should go for because it's God's will in Scripture that God's name is glorified. And if still you're undecided, then I suggest you turn to Psalm 37 that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. John Bunyan said it a different way. He said, when we live for God, his desires become our desires. Then you choose what you want. If you've checked through the scriptures, then nothing contradicts the scriptures and that you are perfectly under God's will in scripture. And you've checked with your friends and people who you, who you respect and say, is there anything in scripture that you think is this decision is incorrect? And they cannot decide whether it's right or wrong. They say, well, both are okay. None of them are sinful. Then Choose the one that you want that delights you the most. Whether it's a white car or a silver car, it doesn't matter. Just choose it because God will give you the desires of your heart. So in all these four levels, I believe that Scripture is involved in it. And even in the form of spiritual things, we also saw that we can understand how to become Christ-like through this, the pages of Scripture. So how do you and I know God's will for our lives? How do we discern God's will for our life? Well, we do it by getting into the Word and knowing the Word. I want to ask you this morning, do you have a plan to learn and study and read God's Word? Do you have a plan? And if you don't, we all need to have a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, 
We can never ask, Lord, what is your will for my life? As I did many years ago, standing at the sky, looking at the stars, saying, Lord, what is your will for my life? And all the time, God's will was right in front of me in the pages of Scripture. How he wants me to react, how he wants me to be with others, how he wants my character to be, and how he wants us to make decisions. Joshua chapter 1 is a beautiful portion of Scripture from verse 7 or verse 8. It says, this book of the law should not, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And in the end of verse 9, it says, For the Lord your, God is with you wherever, Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 8 and 9 are sandwiched together for a reason, I believe. God is with us. And he's with us as we study scripture and we can realize what God would say. Do you want to hear God's audible voice? Do you want to know God's will? Well, then you read the scriptures. Do you want to hear God's audible voice? Do you want to hear God speaking to you? Well, then read the scriptures out loud. That's how you hear God's audible voice. You read the, verse, the verses out loud. And that is literally God speaking to you audibly. John Piper said a saying, and I think I have it there. No. John Piper said this. He calculated the number of hours. Do you know how many hours are in a week? 24 times 7. How's your mathematics? I had to use the calculator. So Satan devotes 168 hours a week trying to deceive you. John Piper reminds us, do you think you can maintain a renewed mind with a 10-minute glance at God's book once a day. How do you think that that, that, that that marries up? We barely look at the scriptures sometimes in some weeks, but we, we expect that Satan to back off as well. He doesn't back off. But if we know the scriptures, we'll know how to, how, what God's will is for our life. In closing, I, m- I must say to you that despite what's happening in the world, no matter which country you are in, no matter where you are, the absolute safest place in this entire world is in the will of God. I don't say that you're going to have perfect, you're going to go around and no one's going to harm you. I didn't say that. I said the safest place, according to God, is in his will. I know this is a lot happening in the world in war and that, and I know it's a tough thing to say, but if I had to stand in a church in Ukraine right now and they asked me to preach a sermon, I would preach the sermon. I would say, people, Christians in Ukraine, you want to know God's will for your life? This is God's will right here. Whatever God is, whatever is happening in this country today, know that you are in the safest place if you're in God's will. Even though there's things happening very close and there's war happening, you are the safest if you're in God's will. And this morning, I want to say that to you this morning as well. You are in the safest place in the whole world in God's will. But I know you may have messed up, and I've messed up many times, where you don't, haven't taken the right choice, and you've gone the wrong way, and you realize that you've messed up. Understand today that God can use that. And he can use that in his sovereign will. He knows that you're going to do that, and he can work it. And we know that Romans 8 verse 28 reminds us. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
God can use your past, whether you made some bad decisions or not. He can use your past, and he can mold the future with it. But I want to exhort you guys this morning, everyone this morning, to get into the Scriptures and to know God's Word, because by knowing it, you will know what God's will is for your life in the spiritual things, but also in the non-spiritual things. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to um, ask them to play a song for you. Um, and the song is by Robin Mark, and it's called When It's All Been Said and Done. And one day, at the end of your life, I would love nothing more for you to look back and to know that you had done God's will during your lifetime on earth. And at the end of the day, all that counts is what, what you've done for Christ and whether or not you live for the truth, the truth that we have in front of us. Because that is God's will, that we live according to the truth. So I'm going to pray before we um, listen to the song. Let's pray. Lord God, we, um, we thank you so much for your word, not only as an instruction booklet, but Lord, your word is the truth, as uh, Julie mentioned earlier. Lord, your word guides us. It directs us. It gives us principles, your heart. And Lord, by reading it, and by reading it out loud, it's almost as if you're talking to us directly. Lord, may it not be that we ask, Lord, what is, what is your will for my life, that we do not go to the Scriptures. Lord, we pray that we will go to the Scriptures, and that we will drench and saturate ourselves in the Scriptures so that we will know what your will for our life is. And Lord, I pray that if anyone here this morning has not yet come to know you personally and trusted in the work on the cross for salvation, I pray, Lord, that you work in their heart, understand it's your will, and desire that they are saved today. I pray for all the young people today. I pray that as they work and journey through their life, that they'll understand that the Lord's will is to be upright and blameless and to fear you. For all the adults here today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, use the scriptures and be wise and, 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 uh, and, and give it up to others and share it with others that you can help us to do your will. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a listen to this song. And um, listen to the words. Thank you. It's all been said and done There is just one thing that matters Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? And when it's all been said and My treasures will mean nothing Only what I've done for love's reward Will stand the test of time Lord, your mercy is so 
Lord, I live my life. 